Welcome party. on into the show. <laughs> My name's Danny Gallagher, and I am joined by the snare campaign provocateur, the king of the drumstick himself. He's out here cutting up the, what's it called? The wishbone? It's Benny Horowitz. What's up? The man? wishbone chicken references. <laughs> Can I tell you something funny that I noticed today? It's yep. been a long observation, but you know, I do a lot of shopping at like organic, you know, crunchy type places, I, you know, whatever. We don't have to get into that. But one observation I've noticed is these crunchy types, very skittish drivers. Have you noticed this? They don't do well out there. Like, I feel like, I don't know what the, from A to B of being like someone who's really into like organic crunchy food, you know, the people who had their own bags at the supermarket before, you know, Murphy made you do it. And like, but they're like the crazy. And if you do anything wrong in these parking lots, they go straight from like crunchy person to like Sylvester Stallone, like in no time. Like like a real uh, dare I say Karen driven place. Oh wow! Okay, hey man, easy. Ter- terrifying. Oh, Karen, I'm sorry. Come on. no Karen, no Karen disparaging. No, but I don't know. Just an observation. I don't know what yeah. it is. Maybe like when you take your head and your space to the commune in your mind, like when you run into like the daily travesties of life, like someone almost hitting you in a parking lot. Chad, what just happened to me like about 30 minutes ago. Um, like, like maybe you just can't handle it anymore when you get the, this is where I need to. Sometimes I think like maybe I should be more outspoken about being a crunchy vegetarian so I can almost like reframe, you know, the cultural norms of, of our perception. Hey, when you don't have the meat, there's a lot of repression that happens, right? That's what I is think. Is that, that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that it? Internal primordial repression from not being meat fed we're a repressed generation benny oh, as, as i as i talk like we're in the same generation <laughs> eh, close enough yeah you, don't, you can't play young anymore you're old like me no i bleep and no like you know the big three o's like less than a month away scary <laughs> stuff brother oh you'll love it you're in your prime i know you're that, in your you prime know, you got to keep the hot yoga going so that I stay as, as limber as I was when I was 18. So, you know what else is in its prime? What what else is in its prime? This day in music history? Oh, I'm too late. I don't have it. <laughs> oh, what do you got? All right. On this day in 2002, Ray Manzarek and Robbie Krieger of The Doors announced plans to reform with the lead singer of The Cult, Ian Astbury. And uh, the police drummer, Stuart Copeland. They initially uh, announced the tour as the doors of the 21st century. But a lawsuit by the original drummer, John Densmore, who uh, couldn't tour because of hearing loss, forced them to stop using the doors moniker. And they changed their name to the tour for Riders on the Storm as a result of the litigation. Yeah, ugly stuff. You know, and then, you know, we're going to have some stuff later in the episode. How do bands keep the peace? You know what I I mean? But then I I think about the same thing where I'm like, what if I've been on the couch, right? For 25 years, Oliver Stone made a movie about my band. My singer died a long time ago. And then like the band reappears with somebody else using the name. 
I don't know, like if there wasn't a prior conversation or something like that, I could see maybe where Densmore was coming from. Not yeah. not looking too into this. Maybe also he just was like, shit, Stuart Copeland. That's a good drummer. Like maybe he just got like like jealous and and a little little flighty. I don't know. Ugly stuff. I, do you want to see like and do you like these tours? Like, do you like when a band like 40 years later doesn't have new music and reforms with a couple new members just to play the old catalog? Do you like these kinds of shows? I don't mind it because sometimes every now and again, you get John Stamos playing with the Beach Boys, which makes no sense. But it's it, 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 it's but a beautiful cool. pairing, a beautiful yeah. pairing. It's yeah. true. It's true. It's like grapes and cheese. All right. What I, do you got? All right, I have a, a, a bit of a audio-visual double play here for mm. us because a tremendous musical meme moment happened on this day in 2001, and that was when Creed delivered their outrageous halftime performance of uh, the Dallas Cowboys-Denver Bronco game. Oh, God. Uh, if you haven't seen this meme, man... This was oh, fresh off of 9-11, Thanksgiving. I feel like America needed that. Denny, thank you for that. <laughs> I, I seriously don't know if I've ever seen that. Oh, my gosh. It is It is a huge – it was a huge meme on basketball Twitter like 10 years ago. Oh, my God. During like that the Eagles era. Yeah. Fucking brilliant. <laughs> wow. Like, And I can't help just because of my own context. Like trying to convince like brian to do that oh my gosh who in the like, band like would brian, get on? let me ask you something can i put you on national television lip-syncing one of our songs cloaked in an american flag wearing a jersey but you really gotta ham it up too like yeah. like get down on your knees you know wow like there's almost a part of me that you gotta respect at least the marbles to go do that. You know what I mean? Showmanship. Like, I, I mean, you got to own your thing. You yeah. got to believe in it to do that. And misguided or ballsy. I'm not sure by oh. Scott Stapp. Maybe, perhaps both. What an NFL moment. Like, like, yeah. the NFL, like, like this yeah. is like a peak NFL. Like that is peak NFL. Not right knowing there. the temperature. And yeah. I don't know even, I don't know if they still do the halftime show where bands perform, but it has never been. It, it, it's been tamed since then, which is kind of sad. And the only thing that would have made it better was a flyby right after <laughs> oh, <that. yeah. laughs> Can you take me higher? <laughs> With the flyby. That would have made it up. Yeah. Real three doors downy. But <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get into our first headline of the day. Oh, man. I really wish that. I feel like that didn't work for the audio audience at all, but you want to know something? We'll we'll make it work by the time that that you hear it. All right, Benny. First headline today in the new year: Spotify plans to roll out a new royalties model that will allegedly drive more money to more popular artists, recording labors, and and the distributors, uh, while clamping down on streaming fraud. Uh, the scheme is a three pronged approach uh, based on Billboard reporting, creating a new streaming threshold that tracks uh, and must reach uh, that that has a threshold for that tracks must reach in order to qualify for royalties, penalizing fraudulent activity and setting a minimum play length for non music noises. Um, this comes as Spotify tries to crack down people making money off of people sleeping to white noise and that whole. Thing. So let's kind of do a, a bit of a, a 
deeper breakdown. Uh, tracks that receive less than a thousand streams within a 12 month period will not qualify for the royalties, and the royalties instead will be redistributed into a greater royalty pool. Uh, labels and distributors will be charged 13 bucks for any track that found to be have 90% or more of its streams deemed fraudulent. And non-music noises must now be at least two minutes long in order to qualify for royalties. Um, so yeah, a big shift for Spotify here, which you, in, in my mind, this is bullshit. And this is going to hurt the people uh, that really need those bits and crumbs from Spotify to try to push forward. Well, I mean, maybe this is where, you know, like on, on first thought, right? Like, you know, I haven't thought too much about this, but like, you know, maybe this is where, you know, it goes from uh, the jungle to like a freer market that makes a little more sense. And this could just be Spotify saying like, hey, like if you're that type of band, like it, it's not worth the money. Like people forget that you're if you're getting less than a thousand streams in a year. I mean, that's not a, a ton of activity. And I think a lot of times there could be like inactive bands and stuff like that on Spotify who have their whole catalogs um, and somebody has to pay for it to host it, to keep it up there year to year. So isn't a band like that actually perhaps better off on Bandcamp where you can sell you know, your song directly and monetize it directly and actually be in like a pay to play scenario because like, the idea that if you're getting like 800 streams in a year, the check you're about to get cut from Spotify is, is it might even be negative. You might even owe a money based on like how much it costs to just even host a song. So that part of it, like it seems super like elitist and shitty, like on the surface. And maybe it's just Spotify finally going like, Hey, we're elitist and shitty. You know, if you're like a demo band, Spotify is not for you. <laughs> and uh, all right, then everybody who does that kind of business should take their business elsewhere because this is the model now for them, you know, um, and it is it is what it is, I guess. Uh, it's not surprising that they're reversing instead of being like an altruistic thing to to this. Um, as far as like um, the other new restrictions, I don't know much about that, but I do see you know, videos of, uh, you know, cell phone farms, like streaming the same things and stuff like that. We know that that kind of fraud exists and everybody from, you know, Netflix to Disney to Spotify is cracking down on, you know, what they deem to be fraud and stuff like that. Um, which again is like, I think what we're seeing is, you know, first steps into murky territory, people making mistakes, people fixing those mistakes. It's so like, I don't know. I read this story and it, it's like, it's like, it's like calling Coca-Cola mainstream. Yeah. Like Spotify is like the big shitty fucking music monster right now. Yeah. That's what they are. And now they're kind of just like doubling up on being that. And there's nothing about this story that's unsurprising to me. Like, um, shitty sure but totally like this is jack's lack of surprise you know it seems like every time something like this happens the next thing comes along that kind of like revolutionizes you know we right you know like we've had a long enough sample size of uh music and and technology and these platforms so it's gonna be interesting to see where the the, the, the kid and the band that's not getting a chance puts their music that is like oh now all the labels want to invest in that so 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, like, you know, is is posting on YouTube still free? You know, is posting on like maybe there's just better avenues than that. I don't know. I got to ask you this question because recently I found that like YouTube playlists have become way more of how I listen to music driving in the car than like hmm. Spotify. So that like, you know, and they kind of like the way that they clump your music together. Like if you listen to a song a bunch, it'll put like 25 right. songs in like a YouTube playlist yes, and just like sure. rock out there. So maybe, yeah, maybe all roads go back to Google. Yeah. I mean, it just happened this morning. Like my, my wife, is loves like the spotify suggested playlists you know what i mean like let me hit a band and see what in that genre and it's like cool background music and i think that's a huge thing in the way people are consuming music now and uh you know i i don't know what kind of things are going on the inside to drive who's with who and like you know that's the things that scare me about that is like you know, if you don't adequately kiss the ring or you say the wrong thing, then somebody fucks with your algorithm and you're no longer connected to other bands and you're kind of lonely out on Spotify. Like, I hate the fact that that company has the power to do that. Um, so that's something scary about it to me. The more and more of these kind of like suggested playlists get get more and more popular. I'd like to see more curated playlists, I guess, yeah. in that case, like, you know, more this is. 50 tracks that this artist loves or something yeah. like that you know that that's something i maybe like to see more of that feels like a uh, like like a chuck d project like like he's always the one that's like like putting together those kind yeah. of things like don't let the algorithm tell you let let <laughs> someone who actually you know spin some records tell you yeah uh well speaking of somebody that spins some records benny you know we are the podcast of note when people buy and sell their catalogs uh you know we're kind of like the uh the bloomberg or the nasdaq of Mm -hmm, of the music mm -hmm, trade mm -hmm. uh dua lipa has bought the rights to her publishing catalog from uh tap music publishing uh the company announced today the sale arrives over a year after the singer has has tried to get this thing going uh her dad now is her manager so they're keeping it all in the family she owns it she has management close to the vest but the reason why i bring this up in the wake of our other story is it feels like that being able to have enough money to buy your catalog back doesn't come if you don't have exposure on a platform like spotify and can't you know find ways to monetize initially i mean it's also super unique that it was for sale yeah i think that's the biggest thing like you know the time when that's the big gripe taylor swift had when that deal went through was the fact that she was not offered to to purchase back her records you know and and because of that that's why she spearheaded in the other direction same thing happened has not again the details here but same thing has happened to me where you know like like uh an album has been sold without you know the band having any so i think dua lipa you know i'm not sure exactly what the driver to the success was but i think most artists in their prime if they were offered their catalogs for a reasonable amount of money would take it i think this is a unique thing in that way where more often than not the opposite thing is happening where people are gonna fight tooth and nail charlton heston pry it from my cold dead hands to give those like to give those masters back up you know because that's where all the value is now in who owns where all those streams go back to you know 
Well, I think having a having a big song on the Barbie movie helped a bunch <laughs> for hey, Miss Lipo. Hey, good for. I mean, it's great though. Like, I I appreciate when an artist can own their own stuff. Yeah, I currently own you know the the first Gaslight record doing it the same. I think there's a lot of new models coming out, and younger artists are getting more hip to what they have to do to to protect themselves. You know, and you know the 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 models slipped for those major labels and stuff they all almost died and they had to make concessions too so you know business is business right benny we have breaking news on the business front i wish i prepared a graphic but you need an aaron sorkin noise right right yeah oh no he's a guy that would come after me for the money for sure all right hall and oats one of the most successful and iconic duo duos in music history are not just on the outs, they're in litigation. Uh, this, according to TMZ, Dow Hall has filed a lawsuit against his former musical compadre, John Oates, claiming some form of brief breach of contract. What's more, Hall has a restraining order against Oates. That happened this past Friday. Um, details are, are, are still coming out slowly, but it appears that the docket of Hall and Oates were in arbitration over some dispute. Uh, t- you know, it has to do with con- contracts and, and stuff like that. Hall believes that Oates violated that deal. Um, so yeah, now this is this could be a dispute over royalties. It could be a dispute about Oates singing their songs in his solo act, which that probably sound is a bit more likely than the other thing. But yeah, Hall and Oates, more like Hall or Oates. Benny, your thoughts? Oh, uh, uh, this is why. Alex Rosamilia sends me this article because he knows my deep love for Hall and Oates. And my response is, for fuck's sake, is nothing sacred. Even Hall and Oates. Now, I have a personal anecdote for this. So my last pre-COVID show before the world shut down was Hall and Oates in Atlantic City. Me and my wife did it. We're like, let's get a room. Let's go see <laughs> Hall and Oates. It was fantastic and one of the things there's there's a couple things that really stood out to me that night one was the fact that the guys seemed like they were having a great time they did the vibe was good i don't know if we we caught the right night maybe a lot of things have happened since but like i noticed that i'm like i appreciate that they're enjoying each other this is nice you know because what's the point of being this old and playing this music, if you're not like having some fun up there, it, like I want to see that. So you just know it's not just for money, you know? Um, another thing I noticed is that when uh, John Oates sang his songs in the set was like beer and peeing time. It was palpably uncomfortable how many people got up from their seats and started walking out when he started playing one of his songs to the point where like, I like overcompensated because of guilt where I'm like standing up and like jamming to his songs because I felt bad. It was weird, you know? So I don't know, like, you know, we don't know the inside of this, but imagine that scenario when you're literally like 50% of the name it's presented as a 50, 50 thing for almost your entire career. And then just like you turn into the Garfunkel, you get, you know, and, and the, the point about the fact that there's a restraining order on it makes me think that there's some very, very deeply personal part of this, you know, like, like 
uh, old friends and old jealousies. Or I don't know what, but it's a sad scenario. Uh, it makes a little sense based on what I saw at that concert. Um, but breach of contract, I wonder like what exactly, yeah, performing the songs might just be like as part of the contract where he's not allowed to do them alone. I don't recall Daryl. Does Daryl Hall tour? On it, no, does does Daryl Hall tour and perform Doesn't those songs? He have on his like, own? I know like he's got the show? podcast, yeah, <laughs> where people come play at his house and stuff, which is pretty cool. Um, he played along in the Blue Jean Committee documentary, but <laughs> I don't know. So, sad story is nothing sacred, not even hollow notes. No. This is why you got to, like, you know, in the, in the same way you do with LeBron James, you got to give like the Rolling Stones credit. You know, and people like that, like when you got some guys who are like 80 and still cool and still wanting to do the whole thing, there's partially a triumph right there on its own. You know, Yeah. speaking <coughs> of Rolling Stones, just announced a 24 city tour in the U.S. I feel like this is may, maybe one of the last opportunities to see, see the yeah. Stones. So I think that's going to be a hot ticket. Oh, yeah, that's going to be one of those. Like that's when in the music industry, there's. There's tickets that are easy for me to get and tickets that are hard for me to get. Yeah. The ones that are hard for me to get are the ones that the people I ask to get tickets use, Can't get. Oh. you know, yeah. like, and that's the, like the Rolling Stones ones are the ones where I'm going to get a whole lot of, no, nah, I'm fucked nah. on that one. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it. All right, Benny, let's turn our attention to the association. And we had a bit of a funny story out of the mid season tournament uh, and comes courtesy of, uh, a Dallas Denver game that happened. The three point shot of Dallas forward Grant Williams uh, fell slightly off all morning went, uh, ahead of their game last week. And it turns out the three point line was off, which I've wow. never seen this before in like m- maybe 30 years of, of the NBA where they painted the line wrong. It's it's due to these new midseason tournament courts where if you haven't watched it, uh, think like Rucker Park, think bright colors. <laughs> Think video lines. game, yeah. Basically. Think very NBA Jam ish. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, the lines were painted, and uh, Grant Williams of, of all people was like, "Hey, something's not right here. Uh, I got fixed by the time that the game happened." That's playoff sharp round. Grant That's right. Williams, unbelievable. But uh, what do you make of uh, the NBA? Maybe going a little bit too far uh, in because each team at this point has like six different courts. Yeah, I mean that seems like the not like. I, I think actually that if we're going to start covering the in-season tournament now, I Which think that are. one of the biggest triumphs of the in-season tournament is that the biggest knock we have is probably the courts, Yeah, you know, and it, it's distracting. People don't like it. Like it's a little too much, but not where people are like, I fucking hate this. This is a little snafu, you know, like right. I've seen like, you know, they sent out that video of what it takes to put these courts on. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. In every stadium, I'm like, think of the money. Think of the the person power and then the, like what it takes to actually get this done for every single one. Um, so the idea that like one was like slightly off. Yeah. OK. <laughs> you know, because it's not like the NBA is sending one universal team to install a court in every place. It's like it's a local team of people everywhere. And, you know, there's going to be a little uh, maybe a little wiggle room there. And especially yeah. if they figure like how far off was it? It must have been inches. If three feet, three feet. Yeah. 
I don't oh, know. Oh, <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. Oh, so we can also not credit Grant Williams for yeah. shit. I would have <laughs> noticed that. Okay. Um, I don't know because I see the way that they have these whole things set, especially. I'm not sure what color the court was because some of these are are red. And even yeah, when you're right. watching on TV, you're I'm like, like how are, the are these guys? Yeah. Like, spacing is so crucial. How is this not getting fucked yeah. up? Like, yeah. Wow. All right. I mean, I think I'd take back, like, my last, like, three minutes of argument now yeah. hearing that it was three feet. I was trying to give him a pass, but yikes. So, yeah, unbelievable. Next year, here's what you got to do for the court for the in-season tournament. Just make it gold the whole time. Everybody has a gold court. I don't like the trophy as, like, the lanes. Just, like, gold court, have, like, the, the trophy maybe in, like, the middle, not as, as the paint. But anyway, that's a, that, yeah, that's a conversation like, for Madison Avenue. Like, let's do, like, a stripe. Like a pinstripe, yeah. like when you yeah. do something cheesy to a car or something, you know, yeah. like, yeah. but no, definitely, definitely a heat check by the NBA there. But the the action itself, which we're going to get into now, has been really fun. So the first two teams have uh, reached the knockout stage of the NBA's inaugural in-season tournament. The Los Angeles Lakers approved a 4-0 group play after rolling the Utah Jazz. Uh, they've clinched uh, the West Group A as a top two seed. And I, I love this point differential thing because, you know, a, a lot of times in, in games, it's like, oh, like, like the difference doesn't matter. In the yeah. in-season tournament, uh, if, if you score a lot of points and hold your team, uh, hold the other team to a bunch less, that's going to make a difference in where you fall in the tiebreakers for this. So that's really fun. Uh, the other squad that advanced on Tuesday is the Indiana Pacers, who came from 20 down uh, to post a 157-152 victory, one of the highest-scoring games in NBA history. The Pacers are 3-0, and and they already own the tiebreaker over Cleveland. Um, other East teams in the in the running to advance as well. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks are, are 2-0. and They hold a 23 point edge over the Miami Heat in Group B. The Boston Celtics also at 2-0 have the best path to win in Group C. As of right now, the Heat look like they're going to be the wild card winner that also goes to Vegas. Um, Just wrapping this up here, a Pelican victory over the Clippers uh, coupled with a Nuggets loss would give New Orleans a Group B berth in Las Vegas and uh, Kings and the Kings Timberwolves contest will give uh, that winner an inside track to take Group C in the Western Conference. So a bunch going on here. The midseason tournament will get underway uh, December 6th and December 8th in Vegas. Benny, this has been a, a bunch of fun, and it's been fun to see the players get invested in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the one, you know, we're not too far into it, and you already have, like, you know, the Spurs and the Blazers and the Grizzlies and the Wizards already out, you know, the Pistons already out. So you already have Wemby out of this thing. You already have like, but you know, so this idea that this is like a showcase for like certain players, I'm not totally sure about that yet, especially since the oldest guy in the league was the first one to clinch, you know? (laughs) Um, But then you're seeing these other storylines and particularly what you're talking about last night, you have uh Halliburton who's who's desperate to you know uh win something like he he said in the post game he's like I've never won anything you know he he hasn't won as a pro he didn't win in college I don't know about him before that but it means a lot to him and uh like we were guessing you know um you know speculating about a month ago the idea that like 
what motivates these guys? And I think I even posed the question to you. Is LeBron James motivated by making like the dudes on the end of his bench an extra half million dollars? It turns out he is. You know, LeBron loves pleasing people. And then he's putting his old ass body on the line to do it. So, um, and you know, and when you have a game like last night, when a game like Indiana Atlanta, where for the last few years, who knows what way that game goes. It's pretty easy that one of them might throw up a stinker. Like who knows? And last night you just have this absolute fucking barn burner led by like young emerging stars and stuff like that. And like, you know, do I think the Indiana Pacers can get through the top teams in the East this year, like in the real playoffs? No, I don't. But do I think like Halliburton and that team can get to like the in-season tournament, like final and finally get a lot of eyes on this guy that you never would otherwise? Yeah, like I do. You know, who would be paying attention to an emerging NBA superstar in December if it wasn't for this like new thing. So, you know, I was kind of for it from the beginning and I think, you know, we haven't seen it totally play out yet, so I'm not going to put a stamp on it, but shit, the early returns from the in-season tournament are are overwhelmingly positive, I got to say. I did not even consider the LeBron James element of all of this because here, here here's going to be the thing, and this makes so much sense for the league. If LeBron's in it, people are going to watch. And then from LeBron's perspective, he's like, my gosh, if I win this, not only is it one more notch in his belt. That's right. His name goes on the trophy for the rest of time. Yeah, does Michael Jordan have an in-season tournament yeah, yeah, trophy? Exactly, exactly. No, he doesn't. Huh? <laughs> See? See? That could be motivation right there. And then what if the what if LeBron kid, plays like he keeps this like 45 minutes a game thing he's been doing up <laughs> right until the end of the in-season tournament? Then he comes up gimpy for a month. It's like, I just want this. I want this extra crown that Michael doesn't have. Who knows, man? There's a lot of different things that can motivate teams. And you know, I heard um Doc Rivers somewhere talking about this, where one interesting thing about it, and something I'm really interested to see is like <laughs> to some of these teams like the Lakers or the Nuggets or, you know, Boston's and the, you know, the teams we expect to be there in the end, are they going to go to like playoff rotations now? Are they going to, you know, shorten their bench or are they going to kind of show their cards for what they might be planning for later in the season? So there's also now an extra layer of strategy there. That's like kind of interesting to, to monitor. That th- this seems like something that falls right into Spolster's hands because he can have mm. have his plan for the in season tournament and then totally adjust the looks and and how everything goes by the time right. the real playoffs come. That's along. right. Yeah. So a heck of a a start to the in season tournament. If you've been following the NBA, it's been a fun watch and stuff like that. But Benny, let's turn our attention to the top of the Eastern Conference, and Wednesday night will feature a battle of the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Boston Celtics, Drew Holiday versus Damian Lillard. We've talked about that trade. Uh, Giannis, you know, uh, has has had an interesting ride when it comes to playing in in Boston throughout his career. So a whole bunch of of storylines here. What are you looking forward to in this one? I mean, I think the biggest thing I'm looking for at this point is, like, has Milwaukee fixed their defense? You know, and and clearly something happened in the last week. You know, uh, 
that Brooke Lopez telling Adrian Griffin, like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm staying down here. And it's actually seem seemingly working, you know, like the fact that he's like back glued under the hoop. But still, I mean, Milwaukee's giving up uh, 117 points a game still, nearly 118, which ranks among the lowest teams in the East. And, you know, reasonably do we think Milwaukee can get through all this if they don't sure up that defense and at least become average? You know what I mean? Like, at least, like, maintain, what you know, a certain level. So my biggest thing to watch in this game is how does Milwaukee defend against you know, a healthy Boston team that currently is firing on all cylinders. And that's the thing I'm watching. But uh, I I love this top of the East already. I mean, we're only 15 games into the year and we kind of have our our two teams that we're we're really like scouting for for a a big playoff matchup. What do you got in this one? I'm going to be interested to see what the Drew Holiday situation looks like in, in this game because if, if if any team knows how to kind of hunt him in a way that we saw Miami do last year in a much lesser extent, uh, Boston's abomination of a loss to, to the sneaky good Hornets, as you say, the what, what are they four and seven, three and seven? Yeah, uh, that's oh, uh, you know, he 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 brings the defensive uh prowess that that the Boston Celtics have needed to that team i'm gonna be interested to, to see you know like you brought up the 117 118 uh points per game giving up i'm gonna be interested to, to see what the defense looks like in that game um i've also learned through the course of uh seeing brooke lopez the quietest guy in the league like brush off his coach uh the fact that brooke lopez is a big fan of of the tune-up and he's like you know what that kid has, has a point about adrian griffin um so the, so it's going to be interesting to see all of that coming together um I'm, I'm still not sold on the bucks this season uh the the offensive past week has been blistering i think they've been putting up 130 points a game so it, it, it's kind of a uh, two freight trains coming at each other high potent offense uh, versus uh, one of the best defenses in the NBA. So it's going to be a fun watch. But right now, I, I got to go with Boston. Yeah, I mean, and it's a nice part of the season to see kind of course corrections, right? Like, I think to a certain degree, people are getting their head wrapped around, like, how do we got to attack Boston now? You know, and at first, it was a little overwhelming. And on the opposite, Milwaukee obviously had just these, like, you know, these real hiccups at first of trying to figure out what are we doing out here? And how are we doing it? And, you know, you're already starting to see, like, I kind of like the the fact that you're seeing, you know, there's been a couple clear Giannis games where it's like, holy shit, what did he put up? <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, for the most part, a lot of the games are starting to get some balanced attacks. You're, you're constantly getting some, uh, you know, third level production from like a Beasley or a Connaughton or starting to pop in there. And then I think, you know, watching Middleton's minutes go up. I mean, is it, is it undersold on how important he is to that team? Cause it really does seem like when Chris Middleton is like at an all-star level and playing 35 minutes a game, it changes something with that team and takes them to another level. So, you know, maybe this is smart. Maybe the way they're, you know, kind of, uh, Early on in the season, let's ignore, you know, some of the outside stuff and stay focused on what we need to do to get healthy. And, you know, maybe it's coming together from Milwaukee and this, uh, this game tonight's a big, big test. 
Not that I want to stoke Adrian Griffin's fires, but we kind of had this the first season of Bud where they mm. and 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 Jason Kidd for that matter, where it's like the beginning was a bit of a struggle. And then January is when the good to great teams figure it out and they can go on a bit of, of a run there. So uh, who knows tonight? Big test for Adrian Griffin. I, I want to see down the stretch if it's close. Uh, does he buckle or, you know, is, is, can he stand firm and stick to the game plan? Yeah. And I think there's also one thing we kind of maybe left out in the conversations about Giannis and Dame and the off season, and this and that Giannis is just one of the five guys in the league that if he's on your team, you're going to win like 50 games and have a chance to win the finals, right? Mm-hmm. Is that fucking good? And he's doing it again. I mean, even on a on a in a season where like he's taken nothing but shit, he's averaging over 30 points a game at 62% from the field. You know, like remarkable type numbers and basically carrying a team, you know, uh on his back again. So like I don't maybe sometimes we we don't give give these people in their prime enough credit, you know. Am I wrong for just wanting him to be a decent foul shot shooter yeah i mean no you're not wrong and at the percentage he's taking him it's still a concern you know it is like you know if you're he's at he's at 9.7 attempts a game and shooting just under 62 percent. so that still puts you in a position where you know you're not hacky Giannis, but you're not giving Giannis anything free down low you know um but also there was a player named shaquille o'neal who yeah. managed to get through that and win a couple rings so you know, it's it's not the killer. We're not talking Ben Simmons here, you know. <laughs> oh, okay. Any Nets things you want to get off of your chest real quick? Yeah, you know, well, listen. I think this season is playing out as expected in a lot of ways. A dynamic team, you know, when you're actually healthy with like a Ben Simmons and a Claxton and Cam Thomas, this is a team that you could see towards you know, the back end of the second tier and, you know, you know, scratching into that thing. But, you know, because of the things happening and the way it's panning out, uh, you know, I think we're more of in a play in scenario for the rest of the season. But the one thing I'm wondering now is, you know, Sean Marks did a lot of good work in the off season and you're kind of holding, you know, your Lonnie Walkers and Trendon Watfords and, um, you know, uh, I'm sorry, Dennis Smith Jr. You know, all these guys came on um, low-level one-year contracts. And I think part of the plan really might be to, to maximize value again, which was something he really did before the big three. And, you know, Lonnie Walker keeps putting up like this. Who's not going to take a flyer on an extra, you know, an extra score only getting paid a few million dollars a year to finish off the season and toss in in our playoffs? You know, Milwaukee could use a guy like that even even right right now. So I don't want to say the Nets are punting this season, but I do think uh, at some point we might start to see some intelligent losing um, and and some uh, some things behind the scenes to 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 kind of slowly improve. So pick accumulation is kind of where you're at. We we get as we get toward the deadline. Who are you trying to part with, and who are, are you like is a piece for the future? Yeah, I mean, I think I think right now, 
you know, you know, you just re-signed Cam Johnson and you're kind of scratching the surface a little bit on what he can and may be. So I think that's a piece you keep. Um, and honestly, you know, I'd like to sit here and say like Mikhail Bridges is untouchable because I love him, you know, but as a Nets fan, I would sit here and go like, ah, he's untouchable. But as a basketball fan, I go, do you win a title with Mikhail Bridges as your number one best player? No, I don't think so. You know what I mean? He has a ceiling. He has an offensive ceiling. He is a very, very, very good three and D guy, you know, all-star level, uh, but not all NBA level, not MVP level. And the more and more I watch him carrying a scoring load, I don't really like it. So, you know, if there's like real, real value to come back for that, if we're talking multiple first round picks or something like that, I think the Nets have to consider it. And at this point, who do you deem untouchable on that team? I, I don't know. Nobody. A lot of guys that are like, oh, really, really good. And everybody in the league thinks they're a, a great player, but none that all, that I think you would build a, a franchise around, which is totally okay. That's where most of, of the league Exactly. Is. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm not. And, you know, I think if you look at it in the, uh, you know, chronology of the last few years, if you like, if you, if you just laid out a scenario to someone and said, oh, you know, like, and within this span, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and and uh, James Harden all basically like forced to leave, and you were put you know back against the wall. Like if you told somebody the following year you're a a 500 team with a lot of young, interesting pieces, movable pieces, a lot of assets, and you're still actually scratching the playoffs, like it's okay. Like and considering everything, I think it's all right and. You know, here we are already with the Ben Simmons experiment, you know, like there was, uh, again, a couple weeks where people start to lick their lips and see this 6'10 defensive point guard who can rebound and play make, but he never again showed any version of uh, a shot, um, of a free throw shot of any willingness to do anything on offense. And now he's hurt again with a back impingement. So. Shit, man, like, you know, I never bought the Kool-Aid when uh, I never drank the Kool-Aid when it was there. But here we are again with him. And, and you know, I think that's something you got to consider is like, is just getting off of that right now. Do you package an asset with that to just to just get rid of that if you can, you know, and there's some places you could dump him for sure. All right. So with Thursday being Thanksgiving, we talked about the great performances of, of of games being on Thanksgiving in the NFL. Benny, I want to give thanks here for a little bit. Oh, come and on. I want to talk about who we are thankful for in the NBA in the beginning of this season. Oh, I love that. Well, I even texted this to you the other day and I said, De'Aaron Fox is now in my top five of players to watch. You know what I love? I love a point guard who just like is wildly in control. And every time I watch the Aaron Fox, I see someone who's like moving at a speed in control that like no one else is moving. And, you know, I see parts of his game and there's like, uh, 
I think because of his size and kind of that craftiness and moving around the floor, I see like a <laughs> kind of very early Chris Paul in just his body type and the way he moves around, but just this um, deadly shot that he's starting to to develop. Um, and, you know, if he keeps hitting again, like, you know, 38% from three point at the volume he shoots, uh, it's like Sacramento's in every game they're in. So uh, I'm very thankful for De'Aaron Fox. I'm extremely thankful for Tyrese Maxey. And I'll tell you why. Beyond the fact that, like, he's a fun player to watch, he's an exciting kid, got a smile on his face half the time. How do you not root for a kid like that? But what he did was take away a narrative that I didn't want to fucking hear. And I appreciate the fact that, like, Tyrese Maxey just filled this James Harden hole super quickly. James Harden left. Now he's winning a couple games. And instead of having to talk about James Harden for the next like three months, I get to just talk about like a basketball team playing well, you know, that's nice. Uh, I'm thankful for Anthony Edwards who, you know, Carl Anthony towns, my boy, St. Joe's, you know, like, like, come on right here in New Jersey. He's one of my guys. He's a chill character. He seems like that type. You'd love to like smoke a blunt and watch a movie with, you know what I mean? But you know what he doesn't have? He's not a leader. Okay. For whatever reason, a lot of people have told us we've seen it. And the one thing Anthony Edwards has made clear this year is like, Hey, cat, it's my team now. I got this. And the whole thing is just operating on a different level because of it. Like you took that pressure off him to be the primary scorer to basically run the offense through his hands, which is the thing that's been happening for years and years. And he wasn't cut out for it. He's a great player and he wasn't cut out for that. And that's fair. And now we got this bulldog in there who doesn't give a fuck. You know what I mean? Like got the right mindset, the right, everything he can D up like a madman when he wants to. I'd love to see that. So I'm thankful for Anthony Edwards. Uh, I do one more. I mean, I'm thankful that you said that about Carl Anthony Towns' leadership. What it's like, like a Draymond Green puts his teammate in a headlock and he does nothing. That's right. And 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 now we're just like no leadership whatsoever. But yeah, do do one more, and then I got a last one for me. Yeah, Mr. Chet Holmgren. Oh, okay. Same, same thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how are you not thankful for this? And the one thing I'm appreciating about it too is like the thing that I was dreading is already starting to happen with Wemby. You know, the fact that you're watching a 19 year old kid, skinny as a rail, learn the NBA game, get crossed up every once in a while. He's playing heavy minutes in a league with the finest players on earth. And sure, he looks 19 every once in a while and he looks like a rookie every once in a while. And I hate the fact that every one of those highlights is blown up and it's overrated and it's this, it's the LeBron shit all over again. And then you got old Chet just sneaking in there and he's now the likely, right? The very likely person to win rookie of the year, winning team playing an integral piece. Like how often do you get a guy like, I think Oklahoma city could have like weird science this in the off season <laughs> And been like, what exactly do we need to make this team better? Oh, we need a big, we need a defensive presence. We need one who can pop out and shoot and create. Uh, Okay, this guy. Oh, yeah, we have him. He was hurt all last year. Let's just plug him in. 
Um, and it's been fun to see because I, that was somebody I was really rooting for coming into last year. Just, uh, I like his fire. I like his game. And, uh, I'm thankful that he wound up in a situation where he can be like, you know, uh, automatically beneficial to winning. Um, so I'm thankful for Chet. I just stay on your feet, kid. Stay on your feet. You know, I'm thankful for the Oklahoma City Thunder as the mm. whole. Uh, you know, this week they their their winning streak sits at five now. As we as we talk, the offense is out of control. Uh, 125 points for 100 possessions. Uh, Shea Gilds Alexander continues his ascendance. You know, you talked about De'Aaron Fox. I'm thankful for Shea <laughs> out here, man. I Please. wish I I wish I had him in fantasy so bad. Um, <laughs> Chet Holmgren out here. Which I feel like, you know, you talk about Victor Wembanyama. I feel like he could benefit from a Chet Holmgren like situation. Obviously, like you don't want him to get hurt and rehab stuff. But sitting out that year, having that year for your body to develop, having your game to develop, I feel like that that's beneficial. Now we want Wemby out there. Obviously, he's been putting up uh, uh, great numbers, and he looks like he he belongs. But that I I think that year helped a guy like Chet. Even going back even further, that year helped a guy like Joel and Embiid blossom right. into these careers. So, um, and oh my God, was that the Golden State game where he just calmly just hit that dagger? Um, uh, game tying three pointer. So not he's ready a for dagger, it. He's ready still, for it. Ready for oh. his moment. So yeah. yeah, Oklahoma City. Who else you got? That was it. That was all that I had. Truly, all Oklahoma City. For yeah. You. Well, you took all of the guys that have been absolutely crushing it in yeah. the league. Um, I'm <laughs> thankful for you know the fact that uh, I mean you know we we talked uh, about the Bucks, but I'm 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 thankful for the fact that Chris Middleton is coming yeah. back ish. So I am too. I want to see it. You know, I want to see these teams hit each other healthy. Just as a yeah. basketball fan, you know, one other thing I'm thankful for is like the new defensive revolution in the NBA, right? Well, like, like who are three? the No, who are the best rookies coming out this year? Mm. We got Wemby, we got Chet, we got Asar Thompson, you know, yeah. uh Kaysan Wallace, like Keontae George, like all guys who are just defending at a very very high level. Um and I think that's fun to see. Like I I I I think we're really starting to see the end of NBA teams wanting to roster tiny little kids at the end of their bench. And I think this is a nice mixture going on with the NIL thing, which is like the NBA is craving more NBA ready players, right? The NIL is allowing players to stay in college longer, make careers and become NBA ready. So I do think this, um, you know, the Jonathan Bender school of, of uh, you know, just dropping, dropping a guy who barely knows how to play, but is obviously an interesting athlete at the end of your bench is coming to a close a little bit. And uh, I, for one, appreciate that. I like the idea that I always didn't like the idea, like, you know, in baseball, you're only on the major league team when you're ready. Yeah. And we got this whole network of things for you if you're not ready. And I think finally, between Ignite, between the NIL and college and all these other avenues, you're starting to see, hey, I'm not ready yet. I'll stay another year in college. I'll bulk up. I'll go to the G League. I'll do this. And uh, that's something I think is going to be good for the NBA and, and probably good for expansion, which is which is coming. 
A hundred percent. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that we're in this area where the NBA is talking about expanding to a place like Mexico City, a place like back to Vancouver, which I think would be really cool. Montreal. So uh, they're trying weird things like the in-season tournament, but then they're also, uh, you know, like they know that expansion is abound. But the thing that I'm going to hate, and I hope we don't go back there, expansion drafts. Yeah, 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 yeah. And get Steve Francis all over again. That's right. Um, all right, two more topics to hit quick here. Um, you know, we've done a lot of talking about Las Vegas as it continues to be the center of the sports world. And the MLB owners approved the athletics yeah. move to Vegas. Uh, yeah. Obviously, there's there's a, a bunch of other mechanics that will require for the move to see reality. Um the owners seem on board. Manfred seems on board. Benny, do you think we will see the A's be the next team to move and be in Las Vegas? Yeah, I mean, it's it seems like a bit of an inevitability. I mean, even though I know there's hurdles they have to overcome to make it happen. Yeah, I just watched them build that fucking sphere in like less than a year. They'll probably pull it off. So <laughs> I don't know. Like with each one of these steps, it's seemingly... Uh, more and more likely, especially with the fact that, like, I don't know what that A season is going to look like next year. You know, like they're already a very, very bad team. Uh, it's not like they had a lot of hope towards the end of the season. And then you have now uh, not just a, a maybe move, a perpetual move. It's kind of it's just such an ugly like it's like like when you break up with someone and then you have to, like, fly home together or something. It's like. Ugh, I'm just uncomfortable about it right off the bat. Um, you know, I, I for one, am, I, I love the, the history of this stuff. And I love, you know, um, the, the old school narratives and the things that, like, that's what makes sports, like, charming. And that's what makes you be allowed to make movies about it and make you really believe in it. And I got to say, you know, like as much movement and as I've seen in my lifetime as a sports fan and player movement and team movement. And now something like this, you know, where it's like uh, this is a team I have a lot of. Yeah, you know, um, like yeah. personal stuff with I have the yeah. Bash brothers. I have, you know, I remember the earthquake when I was a kid, uh, Moneyball, you know, like all these like cultural elements to the A's that. um uh, you know, they're just there and, and, and it's, it's a bummer. I, I really hate to see it and I hate to see teams get taken away from cities. So I'm always against this, even though it's better for money and even though more people will come in Vegas, I get it. I get it. But you know, same thing as uh hall and oats is nothing sacred. Uh, here's what I don't get with the moving, you know, baseball, claims to be the sport that cares about history more than any other sport. Heck, the NBA is trying to preserve more of history with what they're doing than Major League Baseball and the NFL right now. But the the thing that makes no sense is why can't Vegas just get an expansion team? Why do we have to move the teams outside of the fact that this is, you know, and we're seeing this in Milwaukee for right now too with the Brewers. Uh, these, these billionaires want to get the money from the state so that they don't have to pay for their own stadiums out of pocket. And they're just going yeah. to the highest bidder. I mean, I agree with that, but I do not want to see fucking expansion in baseball. Like baseball is the like basketball. Every bad team in basketball has three or four guys I like to watch. Mm -hmm. 
because they're good, interesting, dynamic players. So you can see getting better and you can see some maybe light at the end of the tunnel or something like that. Man, there is a number of teams in baseball that are just like dead to fucking rights. Uh, like, like from a month into the season and you have to just watch them flop around for the next six months, you know, franchises that aren't even close to making the moves necessary to, to, so I think baseball is not in a position for expansion because of the, the player pool and the lack of interest in talent. I mean, even go through the NBA, like, you know, the, the teams with the worst records in the league that are seemingly going to finish with their worst records in the league all have guys you want to see. You know what I mean? The Hornets have LaMelo Ball. The Pistons have Cade Cunningham. The Spurs have Wembenyama. You know, like just these, and these aren't even like big names, but still like you're a, you're sometimes a novice baseball fan. Name me three players on the A's. Oh, come on. <laughs> you yeah. can't, they can't yeah. even come close, right? Or who yeah. was the best one last year or something. And that's because the best players in the A's last year were were kids named Rooker and Gellot, you know, and uh, like like those were the best players on the fucking A's last year. And I know that because I have like 18 fantasy teams. So I think that that's the reason you're seeing movement instead of expansion in baseball. Here's what I would argue from the league office point of view and the owner's point of view is if you expand rather than move, because a lot of these pro sports leagues, they're just real estate companies, right? Yeah, sure. So if you expand and make it multinational, A, you've got more people for your next TV deal. If you want to go the MLS route and do the Apple thing, you have more uh, people to drive user growth there, more people to all of that in, in these different cities. It's it, it's not about the baseball when it comes to all of Let this. me ask you this, though. Like, yeah. like as far as you know, the, the agreement with the, um, profit sharing and stuff like that, you know, is the reason that not happening because the, the, the bill for that will fall to the, the more successful teams. Well, I, you know, they all got like the BAM tech, which is the company that y'all does their, like their, their streaming was like the (laughs) preeminent company for how, how do you think we get all of our stuff on like Hulu and, and stuff like that. So they've made a fortune more than any other league because they got on this dot com thing and blew that up all all the way. So they're already operating at a surplus that at a level that a league like the NHL would die for. Yeah, yeah, I see that. So it's they're a very good business savvy league, which which. You know, you got to operate it like a McDonald's. You have all these franchises and global expansion. That's what everybody's pushing for right now. But they would rather move because of the tax benefits. And that 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 just confuses me. I don't know, man. Baseball's got <laughs> some serious problems. And this offseason was really a, a shining example because I think you could go out onto the streets in most cities in America and ask people who won the World Series and they wouldn't be able to tell you. Yeah. That's sad. And and if, if we didn't do this podcast and I didn't talk to you, I I'd have no idea. That. You might not know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, we're gonna skip Aaron Rodgers because, quite frankly, the Jets, the quarterback situation in in New York is crazy. Shout out to Livingston's own Tommy DeVito eating cold cuts with his family on Sunday and then going That's out it. and throwing two touchdowns. But. I love it. We got who do we got? Tim Boyle and Tommy DeVito leading yeah. New York in the battle next week. It sounds like a pair of New York City cops. It does. It oh, does. man. Okay. Does. Doyle right. and DeVito, uh, they hey. were the best. 
They were the best. Coming to CBS this fall. Yeah. All exactly. right. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tune up podcast at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on all the social platforms at tune up HQ, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel uh, so you never miss when we go live. If you want to follow the big man himself, he is at Benny Horowitz on Instagram. I am at Danny Gallagher on Instagram, where you can see all of me go crazy because my Marquette Colvin Eagles beat Kansas oh, last yeah, year. Yeah, Maybe, yeah. huh? First team, this is it. First team, 40 years to beat Kansas and UCLA in the same week. Go Golden Eagles. I do hate watching college basketball, though. These kids don't make anything. Anyway, <laughs> the show has ended. Do you, do you have anything else? <laughs> enjoy, your, enjoy your Thanksgiving, everyone. And uh, re- remember, it's bullshit, but still have fun, you know? <laughs> the show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to and watching the tune-up.